Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Time to Go podcast. Uh, it's it's been a few weeks since my last one, but it's great to be back and great to be able to record more material. Uh, this afternoon, we're joined by a special guest called Nicola Neal, um, and she's going to be helping us to tease out these uh, or, or any issues or any difficulties or any uh, blockages in terms of signs and wonders. And she's going to be speaking a lot from her own experience, which is really exciting. Uh, so welcome, Nicola. It's great to have you with us. And thank you for taking the time to, to be with us this afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Great. So Nicola, could you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself um, and just introduce us just to help us uh, understand where you're coming from and the experience you've got. That'd be great. Sure. So yeah, my name's Nicola and um, I'm the CEO of a charity called Every Life International. And we work with the urban poor in different places around the world, mostly in East Africa, um, sharing the gospel and hoping or seeking to equip and empower people to live a transformed life in every way. Prior to that, my husband and I were church leaders of a fairly large church, conference-based church in the southwest of England. Um, I'm married, as I just said, and I have two kids who are both pretty much grown and flown now. So so that's me. Wow, that's great. There's a lot of experience in there, Nicola. Um, looking forward to hearing some of the stories that you've got to tell us. Um, so when we kind of think about the church and think, particularly thinking about the Book of Acts, um, and the stuff that, that Paul did, as we read about in the New Testament, mm-hmm. we, we hear so many different stories, don't we, of, of signs and wonders and miracles and people being set free in incredibly miraculous ways. Yeah. Um, and there are so many examples of that through Jesus's ministry as well. Um, and then kind of seeing that then expand and grow through the apostles and through Paul and all the, the different ministry trips that he took. But then we fast forward a couple of thousand years and thinking about the church in um, in the UK particularly, we seem to have an absence of that, don't we? We don't seem to have the same kind of stories of signs and wonders in the church in the UK today. Yeah. Um, and But yet you spent quite a bit of time in, in, in Africa um, and I'm sure... Sh- I'm sure you'll have seen some crazy stuff there and some signs and wonders of, of Jesus breaking out and into people's lives. Um, first of all, it'd be great to hear maybe a couple of examples or stories of things that have happened um, and then begin to kind of, I guess, from your experience and your understanding of the UK church, why we maybe not seeing that kind of stuff happen here. Yeah. I mean, that's a really big, big question. If I, if I if I start with a couple of stories, probably one of the most um, formulative stories for me personally in my own kind of journey with regards to sort of healing signs and wonders would be way back in the early days when we first moved out to live in Uganda. We started working in the slum communities and there's a huge amount of poverty issues there, as you can imagine. And yeah. sickness is is a huge issue. And we would spend every morning as a small, I mean, we were a very small team in the early days, small staff team, just taking time to just be in the presence of Jesus. And we would spend anything from a minimum of an hour up to three or sometimes even four hours just in the presence of the Lord, just ministering to him, uh, being with him, receiving from him. And then from that place, we would get up and go out into the communities and see what the Lord wanted to do through us and I remember one morning sitting there and 
the Lord saying to me this afternoon, I want you to send the team out and to gather all of the sick from this particular slum community, which was an AIDS slum. So you, it was very complex health issues. We had to gather all of the sick in this small clearing and tell them that the healer is going to turn up this afternoon. And I mean, I'd never done anything like that. I'd never been brave enough to do anything like that. I didn't think I'd ever even thought of doing anything like that, if I'm mm. completely honest, and up until that point in my life. And I did say to my team, okay, this is what I believe Jesus has said. So they went and they knocked on every door of the slum. And there's a few thousand people who lived there and said, everyone needs to come to this clearing, bring the sick, the healer is coming. And I remember rocking wow. up and, uh, you know, you, you kind of wind your way through the slum passageways, you know, and getting through to this little clearing and just seeing this sea of faces that had gathered and this kind of sinking dread coming over me as I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm so completely out of my depth. And I didn't know what to do, if I'm honest. And then the team turned to me and say, what do we do now? And I remember saying to them, I've got no idea. But when we don't know what to do, we worship. That's our line. So we worshipped in like local kind of tribal worship songs for a few minutes. We gave a very short, very basic gospel message. And then I just said to the team, you know, go out in the authority that's been given to you and command sickness to go in Jesus name. I mean, literally, if you don't know what to say, just say in the name of Jesus, I command sickness to leave your body. And uh, so they started to move around and it was the most extraordinary thing, really. And I don't think I'll ever forget the day because I watched as they went from person to person to person. And we saw that afternoon, having having prayed for the for sick people to be healed before and occasionally seen it happen. That afternoon was a huge turning point for us as we saw every single person, bar one that we prayed for, healed instantly from a, from a myriad of things. We saw fevers reduced. We saw people who were lame stand up and walk. We saw, you know, all sorts of incredible miracles. But what was most amazing was as people first started to pray, as the team first started to move around and pray, I remember hearing these gasps of kind of shock when then the healing was sort of manifested. And I thought that was the, the person who was sick going, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that's just happened to me, you know. But it wasn't. It was actually my team who were so taken by surprise when they laid their hands on the sick and they commanded healing to come, that they actually saw it happen. And they were more shocked than the person they were praying for. And it really shifted our whole um, thinking around what it is to sort of pray for the sick and to believe for the miraculous. And I think that was a huge turning point for us in our ministry. It was about two years in, we're now 12 years old. And um, we then began to, I don't know, your faith increases, doesn't it? And you're confident mm. Increases, and then we we kind of saw more and more things happen. You know, from headaches, of course, being healed, and people who can't walk standing up. We saw people who are paralyzed be, be able to move. We saw the blind see the deaf hear, and in the end, we saw the dead come back to life. And so, you know, it, it began. That was quite a turning point, quite a significant point in our journey into the whole kind of healing signs and wonders. Um, world in that sense. I, mean, I could tell you loads of stories, but I would just take up the whole of our conversation. <laughs> you know what? I could listen to stories like that all day. It really does raise faith, doesn't it, when you hear incredible stories of that. And what, what struck me is that it's the, the length of time that you spent in the presence of God yeah. before then going out. 
and and I also I, I almost wonder if um, here in the West, if we're too busy rushing around with yeah. meetings or diary th- diary dates and all that kind of stuff that we neglect spending time in the presence of God for long periods of time during the week. Yeah. Um, but yet we still expect to see God to do signs and wonders. Do you think there's any, it, it, is, is there a correlation between the two, do you think, the length of time we spend in the presence of God and then what we see happening uh, when we pray for people? Yeah, I mean, I, I do I think there's two things in that really. I think, first of all, you can't give away what you don't have. I say it to my team all of the time. It's like we, we receive from him afresh today to give something of him afresh away. and we But we can't give it away until we've received it for ourselves. And so mm. spending time in his presence every day is so, so, so important. And, and in our in our ministry, we actually have a rule. It's It's just it's just how we operate. If you don't come to devotions, you don't come to work. It's like you can't go out because you haven't received. You've got nothing to give away. We, we are very, very strong on that. Mm. And I, you know, I think that's really important. But also, I think it's about Jesus, isn't it? It's about it, we don't seek the healing. We don't seek the sign. We don't seek the wonder. We seek Jesus. And mm. it's in that right. place of pursuing him not we pursue his face not his hand as some people say but it's in that in that pursuit of him you know we we pursue him he comes and he encounters us and he become and he starts to manifest himself amongst us and i think there's something very key in that and i often think in our churches particularly in the west we we pursue all sorts of things but sometimes at the cost of ultimately pursuing the presence of god and I don't know what you we think, Rob, but I think, you know, with all the kind of seeker friendly style stuff, we might that sort of route we might go down or attractional church or whatever it is. I'm like, I don't really know what I think about that, because I think the most attractive thing in the world, the most magnetic thing in the world that exists is the presence of God. And if we spent more time pursuing him and cultivating his presence amongst us, I think we would see what we long to see happen much quicker and much easier than through all our complicated programs and strategies that actually make us too busy for the one thing that truly mm. is and truly makes the difference yeah that's so good i really uh, i'm with you with the kind of the the seeker sensitive stuff and the kind of attractional model of church um because it's, it's almost as if it something about it could almost water down what we're about yeah um, and kind of almost um i guess watering down the, the the kind of the seeking Jesus in order to bring people into what we're part of and you know I'm a, I'm a real big believer I don't know about you Nicola but um you know when when the spirit of God moves it doesn't give some people a, a half measure yeah you know we can receive Jesus in, in in his fullest regardless of where we are regardless of what stage of our journey with Jesus we are yeah. but, yet, but yet it's almost as if when we try when we kind of slip into that attractional mode um it can almost kind of reduce what Jesus can bring and limit what he's doing, can't it, in different at different points. Absolutely. And I think the moment we put boundaries on what we can what he can do amongst us, it's, it's almost it's not game over, but it but it shifts it shifts everything really. And I you know, often we will pray at the start of our day. It's like, Holy Spirit, come and do what you want, how you want, when you want, do, you know, do whatever you want. Mm. That's, uh, 
Yeah, I don't want to be too controversial, really. But but my fundamental belief is this. It's in him that we live. It's in him that we move. It's in him that we have our being. It's all for him. It's all because of him. It's all under him. It's all through him. It's all about Jesus. It's just Jesus. It's Jesus who heals the sick. It's Jesus who raises the dead. It's Jesus who casts out demons. It's, you know, it's Jesus who does it. It's not actually about you or me or our model of church or any of those things. It's about the presence of God in you flowing out of you. It's Jesus that does it. And the moment we try to pin things down to a formula, I think we've lost it. Because he won't be confined to a formula. He won't be confined to a system or a box we like to put him in. You know, he's Mm. always working outside of those things. And so our pursuit should be one thing and one thing only, and it's him. And our will see the rest of it flow. That's great. Uh, One of the um, stories that I always, or not stories, but one of the the bits of the Gospels that I always really enjoy reading is when um, a couple of guys lower people, lower this lame guy down to the, through the roof to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, because they're so desperate for him to have an encounter with Jesus, because yeah. they know that they could, you know, help his legs work and he could start walking again. Um, and I guess, are, are you saying that our kind of role is to be like those, those friends that scrape through the roof um, and load their mate down to the feet of Jesus to be, to, so that he could be healed. Is, is that kind of what our role is? It's almost saying that we will do anything to get our mates or the person we're praying for to have that encounter with Jesus that can change change their life. Absolutely. I think our lives should constantly be everything that we do and everything that we say should be a signpost towards him or should be a revealing of him to people. It's like we become that connection point between him and them, don't we? Between between heaven and earth. And so absolutely, I, I totally agree with that. That's great. Thanks, Nicola. And I, I think one of my frustrations is that when, you know, we we don't really like to talk about the, the kind of miraculous stuff that Jesus can do in church all that often. Yeah. But when we do, we kind of almost expect it to happen in the building. Yeah. Um, and in the walls of the church. Um, and, but, w- but when I read the scripture, when I read bi- the Bible, actually very little happens within the religious buildings. It tends yeah. to mainly happen in the communities. Um, you know, from, your, from your experience and the kind of, understanding you've got of the way that we operate why do you think we're in this place of trying to restrain everything or trying to see it all happen in the church building even if that's inviting people who don't know jesus into a building in order to encounter him oh it's such a it's such a, a good question i think I don't know. I don't know why as the church we're so convinced that if we could get people inside the walls of our building, they would encounter him. Because as you say, all the way through scripture, when you read all the stories in the Gospels, New Testament, they were going out and into the streets and the alleyways and meeting with people where they were at. And that's what Jesus did, didn't he? He was always out Mm. on the road and it was as he was Mm. walking down a street or sitting at a well or whatever it was that he was doing in his normal day-to-day life that he was encountering people and they they were, you know, receiving from him. I don't know whether it's a fear thing. I don't know whether it's a control thing. Um, whether it's a religious mindset thing, but I, I tell you what, when that, when that really shifted for me and I was 
as I said, leading my husband and I and another guy, the three of us were leading this very large conference style church and 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 it was very successful in many ways and I and it was a wonderful church to be part of but I remember going through a season of being so desperately hungry to see God break out in healing signs and wonders and it felt like it'd been prophesied over our city for actually 40 years but but it never really come to fruition and I remember being in this season of utter desperation of like I know you're a God who fulfills your promises so why are we not seeing this in 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 our church meetings and and I was on the on my front um my front room floor you know just shouting into the carpet actually I must have more of you I must have more of you I long to see more of you manifest in this city and I heard the voice of God speak to me almost audibly it was so loud and he just said if you want to see more of me get up get in your car and drive down into the city and I jumped up I mean I just I knew it was Jesus. I didn't even think that it was actually throwing it down with rain outside. I didn't think to get a coat or anything. I just grabbed my car keys and my must obedience first always, right? So I jumped in my car, headed into the city, pulled up in the car park. And then I thought, oh, I don't really know what to do. I'm like, well, what now, Lord? And he said, go and walk the street. And I remember walking up and down the streets of the city in the pouring rain. And, and as people were walking towards me, the Lord said, look at their faces. And I started to see words tattooed across their forehead. And there were wow. things like fear, anxiety, loneliness, depression, adultery, lust, pornography, all of these words as if I could see just for a second, a window into the souls of individuals. And it, it was the weight of it was so heavy. And I said to the Lord, I don't know what to do. And, and he said, I want you to go to this particular street. And so I ran there and he said, as I was running, he said, you'll find a woman and she's gonna be um, struggling to walk. We need to go and pray for her. So I went and I did, I saw this lady and I ran over and prayed for her and she encountered the presence of Jesus. And then he said to me, "There's, I want you to go to this particular other road and in the doorway of this shop, you're gonna find a homeless guy and I want you to go and say this to him and pray for him. And so I ran, I'd never done anything like that in my life before, but I just was so compelled because I was so desperate for more. And I ran and I found this guy and, and he encountered Jesus. And as I walked away from him, and I mean, it's really raining. Suddenly I felt almost as if something opened above my head and I began to, like fire fell on me. That's the only way I can describe it. Mm. I began to literally physically burn from head to toe. My skin felt like it was on fire and the presence of God hit me and I fell face down, prostrate on the floor in a flooded pavement. And his presence just, it was extraordinary, like nothing I'd experienced before. And I heard the Lord, he said, if you want to encounter more of me, get outside of your four walls and get onto the street where the people who've captured my heart live and move. And it, it just changed everything for me. And I was like, we need to get out of our building. We need to stop waiting around thinking if we can just come up with the next greatest program or thing to kind of entice people through the doors, then they'll encounter Jesus. But we need to go and meet them where they're at. He's going to the highways and the byways like Jesus did and um, and break out, break out of that mindset. So we've sought to do that ever since to the best of our ability, sometimes well and not sometimes not so well. Wow, that's amazing. I'll be honest, I'm struggling to hold it all together now. Um, that's such a powerful testimony, actually, of how God has has moved you and stirred you and, and, and sent you. It's incredible. Uh, I love it. Um, yeah, so I'm just trying to regain thoughts to, to try and think so, where to go next because it's so powerful. That um, 
yeah, I think, you know, I, I remember having a, a fairly similar experience, but nowhere near as powerful as that, really, when I first started Eden um, with the Message Trust. And I was walking down a street in lonely old Salford, um, and I saw to walking towards me, it must have been a, a nine-year-old lad, and he was and he was smoking a joint, he was smoking cannabis. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me that this is, you, you'll never experience the love of God in a building like you will do here on the street. Yeah. And I've learned so much more about God's love and God's heart for people outside of the church building, doing the stuff that God's called us to do than I ever have done inside um, on, on a Sunday morning or in a, in a cell group. Um, because this is something real, really tangible, isn't there? When you're walking through a city or a town um, where there is need all around you, yeah, the love of God is just so tangible in that place, isn't it? And it's it's the compassion of God that moves you and stirs you to do it, and that's the fire that falls within, isn't it? Yeah. It's that compassion of Jesus. Yeah, it reminds me. I have a friend who lives in a particular slum in one of the countries in East Africa where he works. She's been a friend for a long time. But when I met her, she was a prostitute and a drug addict and an alcoholic. And she met Jesus, but she was on a journey. And, you know, from the moment she met him, she wasn't instantly delivered of her addiction. And she didn't instantly stop selling her body to feed her daughter. You know, the woman's in, in, in desperate poverty. And it was a journey, you know, of helping her walk out of one lifestyle and into another. But I used to go and visit her and, she would always hear me coming because the, the Islam alleyways are very packed, you know, that you can hear everything. Mm. Often when I would go and see her, she would be in bed with a client. And so she would jump up and wrap herself in a sheet because obviously she's in bed with a client. She's not got any clothes on. So she would jump up, wrap herself in a sheet and then run outside her front door and pull me onto her little mud doorstep outside her little mud house, you know. And she would say, pray for me or worship with me. And so I would pray for her or we would sing together a simple worship song in her tribal language. And I always have a my like a little Bible in my back pocket and I'd pull it out and I'd read some scripture. And I, and Robert, I, I can honestly say, and I, I often say this when I'm speaking in different places, I have had the honor in my life of traveling to many of the kind of past revival sites. I've had the privilege of going to many kind of well-known revival current sites, you know, and amazing places and cathedrals and conferences and everything else. But I have never encountered the presence of Jesus like I do in any of those places, like I do when I'm sat on her doorstep. And, and I find mm. that fascinating because I think to the religious mind, it's incredibly offensive because she's, she is, when, when she encounters the presence of God like that, when he turns up and just literally pours himself out in abundance, she is coming out of the middle of the act of prostitution. Yeah, he still can't keep himself away from it. It's like he's consumed with love for her, his compassion, and his heart is reaching out into the most broken, deepest, darkest, sin-filled places. He can't hold himself back. And so his heart, what I've come to understand is his heart towards my friend and towards many of my friends who are caught in these lifestyles is one of compassion and grace and mercy that sometimes offends my mm. religious mind. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it kind of twists me all upside down and inside out. And I realize and I get profoundly challenged over and over again that I've got it so wrong and that... Mm. 
religious mentality, if I let it, can be a huge boundary to seeing the presence of God break out in dynamic ways. And I, and I think where most of us in the church, if we're really honest, those places that most of us want to avoid and keep away from either mm. intimidation, fear, or um, bec- or dis- lack of, te- you know, we don't like it, it doesn't look good, we don't want to be part of it. Jesus, he, he can't resist those places. He runs straight in there and he's called us to do the same. And he, like I said, he, he, he can't hold himself back. His heart for the orphan, for the widow, for the poor, for those on the margins is undeniable. It's written all the way through scripture. And yeah. I think if the church really wants to see a move of God, the church needs to get outside of its building and get into the margins. And, and, and we might actually see what it is that we long for. Amen. That's so good. Um, I spent five years working as a prison chaplain um, and I've just been reflecting on on some of that stuff that I did. And yes, it was probably the most five difficult years of my life. Mm. But actually, in those five years, I don't think I've ever seen God move more than he did in those times when I was in when I was inside the prison walls. And I was sat in a cell with with prisoners on a one to one basis, and just know seeing this the, the presence of God turn up and touch broken lives. It's a beautiful thing, yeah. but I think part of the problem is, isn't it? It's the the discipleship of that then becomes messy. Yeah, because suddenly we, when somebody's had an encounter with Jesus, we expect them to suddenly start behaving the way we expect them to behave. Yeah, but actually, we I know from my own personal experience, my own walk with Jesus. The discipleship isn't as it isn't as clean cut as we want it to be. No, it's so true. And it's, and it's messy and it's painful and it's difficult. So, I guess, I guess my my next question is, like, how this lady that you were talking about that you would uh, worship and read scripture with in between in between clients? How, how did you? What what did that discipleship journey look like? How did you journey with her? Um, was was there anything? else that you were doing to support her other than kind of the the importance of worshiping and reading the bible with her like what was that nitty-gritty discipleship look like with that kind of level of difficulty i mean it's messy isn't it like you say it's messy and it's frustrating at times and I don't know about you, Rob, but sometimes when I'm sat with her, for example, I used to be overwhelmed with frustration because I'm, like, I'm so desperate for her to know what it is to be in true freedom, freedom from addiction, freedom from prostitution, freedom from poverty and all the complex mm. issues that that brings. And and I remember one day I just I felt like we were taking two steps forward and one step back all of the time. And, and I just was almost beside myself with frustration. I remember hearing the Lord speak to me very clearly and say, Nicola, your job is not to get frustrated with her, but your job is to love her out of the arms of men and into the arms of my son. Wow. So we began to then think about, well, what does discipleship look like through a lens of love that walks with someone all the way through the ups, the downs and the ins and the outs for the long term? And I would say for her, we... Yes, we would study the word and we would, you know, I'd go and visit her as often as I could. And she went to one of our little slum churches and, you know, we would support her spiritually in that way. We were also, you know, looking at how do we help train her and equip her with different a different skill set so that she doesn't have to use her body for income. But there's other things that she could do for income. And, you know, you work with the whole 
someone, don't you? We talk about holistic discipleship in what we do. We're discipling every part of somebody. We're discipling her in her parenting, in her marriage, in in how she brings in her income, in her sexual health, in her physical health and her nutrition and and all of those things. But but that took a long time. But that's mm. that's that's the journey that we have to walk with people. Discipleship is a long, it's a lifelong adventure. Mm. And I think again, what we have to be careful of is in in our desire to see the healing signs and wonders. We don't just want to. We're not just shooting for the quick fix. You know, the miracle that will bring deliverance to that person, therefore sort them out completely, and I don't have to walk with them for ten years and sort out the mess. You know, but yeah. I, not always how the Lord works. Sometimes He does, but my experience is most often. Is, is that gritty working out of faith in the day-to-day that takes consistent love that is not judgmental, but it is truthful. Mm. And it does ask the difficult questions, but it doesn't discipline in the wrong way. And, and, and that, I think, you know, we have, to, we have to keep coming back to the life and the model that Jesus gives us in order to do that well. Um, because you do have to challenge and you do have to say that's not okay but in saying that you still have to have arms that are wide open mm. um it, and and it, you, it's just messy isn't it it is messy and i think it, it would be very easy for me to walk around say a slum community and sit in some kind of great spiritual judgment but the bottom line is we're all sinners saved by grace people who need Jesus and some of our issues are just a lot more obvious than others I always say you know poverty poverty wears many different faces it's not just about money money is a very obvious form of poverty but loneliness is an incredibly powerful poverty and it's everywhere it's it's everywhere but it's hidden and it's unseen we all have our Mm. own poverty that we're working through you all have our own issues some of them is more they're, they're more obvious than others yeah. And we judge more quickly, but that's not our job. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Um, with danger of maybe slightly going off topic, but trying to go with where, where I feel the spirit's leading. Yeah. Um, uh, so when I worked in prison, I remember working with um, uh, a particular uh, gentleman who um, had really big and quite profound and deep-rooted addiction issues. Mm. Um, he'd spent kind of, you know, maybe eight months outside of prison within about seven or eight years, which is no time at all, really, because he'd keep coming back uh, in that revolving door. And I remember meeting him for the first time um, and had the privilege of leading this guy to Jesus and into a relationship with him and seeing him take massive step forwards through this kind of holistic discipleship um, that we, um, that that we, that that on the journey I went with him on. Um, And I remember it coming to his release date and I kind of, Sorted out different, um, play, a different, uh, sorry, a faith-based rehab home for him to go to. Uh, but on the day of release, he decided to to to, to run um, and and not go to that place that I'd, I'd sorted for him. Um, and then I saw him in prison a few days later, and it's that thing of frustration that I'm wanting uh, to to pick up a little bit because yes, uh, we're not to be frustrated, but to 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 love them into the arms of the Son who loves them, which is I love that. Um, but yet we are human yeah, and we get frustrated. So, and I'm sure that there are many other situations where, where, where you've kind of been in situations that have just really frustrated you because of that desperation that they enter the, and you know, kind of where Jesus really does take everything away from them. 
mm. um, and the pains. And so I guess uh, how, how do you how do you begin to deal with those levels of frustrations? Um, I, I think in some ways it brings us full circle because you we're called to love unconditionally. Well, we're called to love as he loves, but we can only give away what we've received. So I'm, I'm kind of going back to where he began in a sense of for us in the in the environments where we work which are incredibly traumatic and complex and full of you know death addiction poverty crime it's, it's a toxic mix the only way that we can survive being in the slum five days a week week in week out for the last 12 years without burning out giving up getting frustrated and throwing in the towel because you you hit a lot of um hurdles don't you in in mm. and in those sorts of contexts is to literally come back to starting every single day where we lay down our frustrations from the day before before the lord and we put them at his feet we lay down the responsibility in a sense of people and go this is your son this is your daughter you know here they are i lay them down again at your feet now would you just refresh me and would you help me know your heart for that person, for that situation, for that community? To me, it just comes back to everything starts and flows out of that place of encounter for ourselves. And then from then, we have the strength for that day. We have the vision for that day. We have the keys for that day. We have the, the fuel for that day to step, step up, go out and keep on going. And I think that's the only way that we've survived doing what we do for so long is because, because of Jesus. <laughs> he has yeah. this, doesn't he? He has to be the source, the life of what we do. And um, without him, we would give up many, many times over. I remember one day saying to the Lord, I'm just so tired. You know, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of that. And I remember the Lord very gently saying, Nicola, does love get tired? And I went into that whole kind of 1 Corinthians 13 of love. Mm -hmm. always trusts it, always protects it, always perseveres. It never gives up. You know, all of those things. Love never fails, but it keeps on going. It keeps on believing. It keeps on hoping. It keeps on trusting. I mean, you read it in the Passion or you read it in the Message or you read it in the NIV. It doesn't matter. It's, it all says the same thing in, in, in very challenging ways. And, and I had to sit down and wrestle through that question of I feel like, I feel like my love is tired and then come to the realization of then therefore <laughs> I'm operating out of self and I need to tuck myself back into Jesus mm. because he doesn't get tired. He doesn't faint and grow weary, you know, and, 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 and draw back into him and receive afresh from him and then stand up and go out and keep on going. So I think in a sense, it brings us full circle almost really. I, that's the only mm. way I know how to walk it, Rob. And there may be better ways out there, but for me, I'm like back to Jesus, back to Jesus, lay it all down, you know, receive afresh and stand back up again. No, I don't think there is any better way than that really, is there? It's, yeah. it's, like you say, it's all about him, isn't it? And it's pursuing him and then seeing his love spill out onto the streets. It is. Um, I think also there's a cost to this stuff. Mm. We want the healing signs and wonder, but we don't always want to pay the cost. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I think there's always a cost. Mm. And 
And we have to settle what costs we're prepared to pay. And, you know, Catherine Coleman is, is a huge inspiration to me. Obviously, she had a, um, a healing ministry, and that's mm. what she's known for, healing signs and wonders. But I'm fascinated by her life, and I love to try and learn from people who've gone before. And, you know, before she would step out into a, on a stage in one of these massive conference centers, whatever, and, and begin to minister, she used to walk round and round and round in a circle mm. by herself. And, um, and then all of a sudden she would stop. And when she stopped, everybody knew she was about to walk out on stage and she would, she'd walk out and everything would kick off, you know, and miracles would break out. But when mm. you think about what she was doing as she was walking around in that circle, she used to say, um, she was learning how to empty herself of herself. She had this beautiful phrase, Catherine Coleman dies a thousand deaths. And she was talking about every single day. I have mm. to die a thousand deaths. I have to learn how to empty myself of myself, my dreams, my ambitions, my desires, my flesh, my all of those things, you know, empty myself of myself. So I become an open yielded vessel. And then he comes and he inhabits me. And then I go out. And I see the healings break out. But there's a cost. There is there is a cost that we have to be prepared to pay um, in order to see the miracle. And, yes. Yeah. And I think sometimes we want to bypass that. I, I don't believe it's possible. And I also remember once the Lord saying to me, Nicola, if you want to, if you want to dwell in the land of the miraculous, you first have to learn how to camp out in the land of impossibility. Oh, wow. Um, That's challenging, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And I remember grabbing mm. the phone because I thought that was really profound, Lord. You know, I'm going to write that down. If you want to dwell in the land of the miraculous, yeah. you first have to live, ha learn how to camp out in the land of impossibility. Camping out in the land of impossibility is not a fun place to be. But you mm. don't have a miracle unless there's a need for one. So we have to be prepared to put up with cost and discomfort and all of those things and frustration and, 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 and. Wow. We want to truly see what I believe is, is available to us. That's so good. And, and, you know, kind of when you speak about Catherine Coleman, she, she certainly gave up a lot, didn't she? And, and lost a lot as well, actually. Um, there's a really great kids series on God's generals. And there's a, a book about Catherine Coleman. And I've just finished reading that with my, with my nine year old. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just amazing. Isn't it? The, the ministry and the life that she had. Um, so just aware of time, we don't want to keep you too long. We know that you're incredibly busy, but just kind of, we, we, there's been so much wisdom and so much, um, so many incredible stories shared already this afternoon. Um, but just bringing things kind of to where we are in the UK today. Yeah. You know, people could well be listening to this podcast, hopefully they'll listen to this podcast and be so inspired and challenged by the the stories that you've you've told and, and kind of the way that you, you you've lived for, for so many years and uh, the stuff that you've seen, mm. but it could well also be thinking, I surely I can't do that. Surely God couldn't use me in the same way that He's used Nicola. Hmm. What and it kind of I, I'm not I'm not good enough for that. I'm not I'm not holy enough for that. What what would you kind of what would your kind of, I guess, parting advice to be to people that are thinking, that, that are thinking along those lines? Um, yeah, I think, I think we so easily can disqualify ourselves, can't we? I think as believers, we're very good at playing the game of comparison. We play it constantly, and we play it very, very well. And in playing that game, we very easily disqualify ourselves from His love and from His service, actually. 
Um, but I think I think what I've come to discover is so often what we say about ourselves or what we see when we look at ourselves or what others maybe say about us, what they see is often very contrary to what Jesus says about us and what Jesus sees when he looks at us. And we have to decide whose opinion we're going to live our life out in agreement with ours, the world's or his. I choose his um, because his, you know, his thoughts are, are, are higher than mine and I want to live in his truth. And I, I think the beauty of what I've discovered over the years, Rob, you know, as we were we were talking just before we started recording, weren't we? And I was saying, you know, I'm I'm always the least qualified person in a room. I've never been to Bible school. I don't have a theology degree. I don't even have any A levels. I failed actually. I got a U and I got an ungraded on my RE A level. I just I, I don't have anything in the natural to promote me. When our teams go out into the communities, we are not the best preachers. Most of the time, we have no idea what we're doing, and we feel totally out of our depth. I mean, we really, really do. We, we we pray very basic prayers. They're not impressive. It's nothing's clever about it. But what I've discovered is none of that matters because it isn't about who you are or who you are not or what you can or what you cannot do. It's about Jesus and who he is and what he can do through you. So you don't have to be the most gifted or the most eloquent or the most extrovert or the most trained or the mo any of those things. Those things aren't bad, but they're not what qualify you for the kingdom. All you need to know is how to be a yielded vessel, how to say less of me, more of you. Here's my life. Take it and use it for your kingdom purpose. It really is that simple. And, you know, when you look back over revival history, whether it's like we said, the Catherine Coleman's of this world or the Evan Roberts or the John Wesley's or the William and Catherine Booth's or you look at revivalists today, whoever you might decide that they are. It's not them who healed the sick, raised the dead and cast G out demons. It's Jesus who did it. It's the Jesus in them that did it it's the christ in them that is the hope of glory and we all carry him on the inside of us and so we have that same power that raised christ jesus from the dead living on the inside of us too we're no different to any of those people that we can read about in our history books and so it's about recognizing who he is the fact that he is in you and he's the one who does it? I mean, it really is that simple. It takes all the pressure off. It's not about the way that you pray. It's about the one whose name you're praying in, you know? And so your job is just to speak the words and his job is to perform the miracle. So it doesn't matter. It I, I think if we can look at it that way and go, it's all Jesus, he gets the glory, which is the right, you know, which is the right order, first of all. And it takes the pressure of us trying to perform and make something happen because we can't. Mm spirit of god can do that and so i feel like that's a bit of a waffly answer but no, that's an incredible answer thank you so much um yeah brilliant uh nicola would you mind praying for us before we before we stop the recording uh, sure. and praying for people that listen father we thank you for your presence with us as we talk we thank you for the goodness of who you are we thank you for your incredible love and grace and mercy that is poured out over our lives every moment of every day. 
And Father, right now, we just choose once again to surrender all that we are to you. Mm. Everything we are, everything that we have, we surrender it once again to you and say, would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit? And would you fill us afresh with your very self? Mm. And Lord, I just pray for everybody who's listening. I, I ask for a spirit of boldness, just like we can read about in Acts 4, a spirit of boldness to come and rest upon us, that we would dare to step out and pray that prayer, share that word, talk to that person, step out of our comfort zone and step out of our buildings and see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. For your name's sake and for your glory alone. Amen. 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 Nicola, thank you so much for joining us today. It really has been uh, been incredible to be on this side of the of the podcast and interviewing you and, and hearing your incredible stories of how Jesus has used you uh, in in so many different situations and for the wisdom that's been unpacked from that has just been so incredible. So thank you for that. Uh, and we'll be back in a few uh, weeks with a, with another uh, episode of the Time to Go podcast. But thank you so much for for listening and thanks once again, Nicola, for joining us.